Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. In AD 95, Jesus writes a letter to a church. It's actually one of seven churches, but it's a church in a town called Pergamos. And he says, To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Could you imagine being in a community of believers and getting a letter from Jesus? It came via John the Apostle, who they knew, and then it also came through their lead pastor or leader, uh, and they heard this letter. He says, this is Jesus speaking, and I have a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Wow. Imagine being told that the place where you live is where Satan has a throne. A throne means he's ruling, where Satan is in charge. He says, I know your works. I know what's going on with you, but I also know where you live. And then he says, and you hold fast to my name, did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So one of their church members, a man called Antipas, which means against everything. Uh, This man was killed for his faith. The devil had tried to push against the Christians and Antipas had stood up and said, no, I will not bow my knee to Satan. I will not compromise. I will not do what the devil wants. I will not follow against what God's word says. And he was killed for his faith. This is real uh, life and death Christianity. Imagine this. And then he goes on to say, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So he says to the leader, the angel of the church, and you are allowing some people to have wrong doctrine, wrong belief. And he categorizes it as the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam, which was an Old Testament person in Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 22. And he says, and also the Nicolaitans have the same doctrine. So Jesus speaks. This is me, Jesus. This is a description of me, sharp to a sword. I know what's going on. I know who and what and where is in your city. But then he also says, I have this against you. There's some things you need to correct. Verse 16, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And that is the main verse that I want to look at today. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, just because God is speaking doesn't mean that everyone hears it. You have to have an ear to hear. You have to open your heart. You have to welcome God's word and say, Lord, I want to know what you have to say. He who has an ear, listen, drown out the other distractions listen to what the Spirit's saying to the churches. God speaks to churches, through churches to individuals, but it's to churches. To him who overcomes, in other words, Jesus says, you can overcome this, all the struggles and all the things against you, you can overcome. And he says this to all seven churches, overcome, overcome, be overcomers, don't be undergoers, you know, over and come are put together to make overcome. 
and the opposite of over is under, the opposite of come is go. You could say I'm either overcoming the circumstances or I'm undergoing whatever's happening to me. And often we as Christians, we just let it happen. But he says, no, rise up, overcome the challenges that you face. In the first church we looked at, the challenge was a lack of passion. They'd lost their first love. He says, overcome that, get your passion back. In the second church, they were being persecuted so badly. And he says, overcome by keeping your faith and your hope and remaining faithful to my word. And here he says, if you overcome the false doctrine and the, and the invasion of Satan into their, their lives, if you overcome, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. <laughs> manna is what the, the Israelites ate in the desert. Every morning they would wake up and there was bread on the floor that God had provided. And it was called manna. And it was fresh for one day. And then the next day they had to collect the new manna. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, daily manna. He says, if you overcome, God will give you hidden manna, his words every day to strengthen you. And then he says, and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. You will get insight revelation just from God to you that is helpful and strengthens you and builds you up. So I want to mention a few points about this church in Pergamos and apply them to our lives. But first, I want to make a few general points. Please follow me. Jesus spoke to seven churches. There were many more than seven churches around this area and around the world, but he chose seven and he sent a message to them in the book of Revelation through John the Apostle to give us the understanding that Jesus loves churches, that when Jesus looks at a region of the world, he sees the church as the bright shining light, the lampstand, and he wants to shine through that church, and he is still speaking to churches. He knows intimately what's going on. He has a message. He has a mission. He has a, a calling and, and words of guidance and instruction and sometimes rebuke for every single church. And we need, even though it's 2,000 years later, we need to be in churches connected to Jesus, connected to each other, and listening to God's instruction. If you are a Christian who is on your own, you won't get the benefit of being in a church because God's Spirit says, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. If you are in a church, you get God's Word. There is strength in the family of God. His Spirit is with you and He helps you to overcome. And then there are messages. For each church, it's a slightly different message. To every church, he says to the angel. So every church has an angel, which is the Greek word angelos, which is translated messenger. Several times in the New Testament, it's talking about human messengers. So we believe he's talking to a human messenger, the main preacher of that church. To every church, he says to the angel. Then he introduces himself with a part of the picture of himself that he gave to John in chapter one of Revelation. In Revelation 1, John sees a picture of Jesus, a full technicolor picture of Jesus with shining eyes, a blazing face, uh, a sash around his shoulders, bronze feet. There's a sword coming out of his mouth. He, he's shining like the sun. He's an amazing image. And then there are lampstands or churches all around him. And he's holding the seven angels, the seven leaders of the churches, stars in his hands. And then with that right hand, which has the leaders in it, 
He puts that hand on John the Apostle as if to say, you're also one of the seven stars. And this is the picture he had. But each church, when Jesus introduces himself in the letter, he only takes a portion of that picture of himself because that is the portion that is relevant to their calling and where they are as a church. And God does this. Each church in your community or in your city is slightly different from all the others. And God has done that on purpose. He plants lampstands and he gives each one a slightly different calling and flavor and way of expressing God. And together we love each other, but we are individual lampstands and we have a calling from the Lord. Churches are great. I don't know if you can pick up my passion for how churches are great. So those are the, the things that he says to all the churches. Then he gives a, a lesson or a, a rebuke or guidance or commendation. Then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to all the churches. And then he says to him who overcomes. So there are some things in common for every church. Every church has a lampstand. It must shine Jesus. It demonstrates a part of him. It has a leader. Uh, it has a calling. It, the people must be open and listening to what the Spirit says, and they must be willing to overcome for Christ. That is the, the definition in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 of a church. But then he has some specific things for churches. And in this church, he starts off by introducing himself as the one with the sharp two-edged sword. And in Revelation 1, he says it's coming out of his mouth. Uh, later on in Revelation 2 to this church, he says, the sword of my mouth. So it's, it's the word of God. Ephesians 6 says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. So he introduces himself as the one who speaks his words. And then throughout the, the letter to the church in Pergamos, he's talking about the word. I will fight with my word. I will give the hidden manna every day for you to be fed and strengthened by my word. I'll give you a new name, my word, my word, my word. Jesus is saying, my word is the thing that really is important to you as a church in Pergamos. Now, let us try and understand Pergamos, because you may be living in a city that is very different to Pergamos. But I want to say that there are similarities for us today in every one of these churches. And that's why he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, not just to your church, but get the bigger picture because it will apply to you. So Pergamos was a prosperous city, but it was a city where people worshipped foreign gods, idols, uh, statues. Uh, some people also worshipped Caesar, the Roman king, the Roman empire, emperor. And there was a lot of idol worship. They, they would make these little statues. They would worship idols. Some of them would worship Caesar and sign a, a little thing and, and pay homage to Caesar once a year, getting a certificate that enabled them to do business. Other, other times there were uh, guilds or, or uh, associations of businesses where they would worship a foreign god and there was some kind of ceremony, a, a, a ceremony to this foreign god. And then if you were in that guild, you could do business and you could trade and make money. If you weren't in that guild, you suffered or you may even be persecuted to death. So the Christians living in this place had a difficult time. And he says, this is where Satan has his throne. And 
what had happened is that the city had collectively worshipped these foreign gods and these foreign idols that allowed the devil's lies to get into their minds and their hearts and their thoughts. And so Satan was effectively controlling the city because people had allowed themselves by their own choices and free will to worship and follow his lies. And there was also a lot of immorality. There was cheating and, and evil being done, but also sexual immorality. A lot of these foreign worship ceremonies went along with sexual immorality. An example for us today would be if you have to be in some kind of secret society or you have to say, I believe in this religion or, or I follow this set of teachings in order to do business with people. And if you don't follow that, you will be excluded. That would be similar. Or another example would be if people in your business world or your work environment say you have to come with us and get drunk on a Friday evening or a Tuesday evening or whatever in order to be included in the group and to get promotions and to get new clients or to go to a, maybe a, a place where there's sexual immorality or pornography. You have to be part of this group to get ahead in business. That would be the same as what these people were going through. And Jesus says to them, I know that you're in this place where Satan has his throne. I know that you are. And I know that some of you have stood up to the point of losing your lives. But then he says, there's a secret, subtle problem. The teaching of Balaam is creeping into your church. And I want to just spend 10 minutes or so just telling you what the teaching of Balaam was and what this problem was. He refers to it in this church and in several of the other churches in Revelation. He's, he talks of the Nicolaitans and the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of Jezebel, but they're all the same problem. And the, the story of Balaam is such an interesting story. It has a lot of commonality with, with this story in Revelation 2. So basically, in Numbers 22, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, are coming to the edge of the Promised Land, the Jordan River. They're about to cross in, and there's a lot of them, probably over a million people, camped in this big valley in a place called Moab. And they put their tabernacle up in the middle of the camp, and they worship God and have their sacrifices going on. And one of the kings around that area, the Midianites and his king, the king of Moab, his name was Balak, was very angry and he didn't know how to stop these people. He knew that they had power from their God, God Almighty. And so he called a, a, a witch doctor kind of guy called Balaam and he paid him money and he said, I want you to put a curse on these people, Israel. And so Balaam stood on the top of this high mountain and he made a sacrifice to his gods and he looked down and he tried to curse Israel, but God Almighty overrode and said, you cannot curse these people because they are blessed. And he told Balak that and Balak said, no, that's no good. And they tried a couple more times. And every time Balaam said, God says, I have blessed this people. You cannot curse them. And so Balaam told the king, Balak of Moab, that I can't curse them. He says they, they're blessed. They're blessed by God Almighty. And he says, when I look at them, there's the shout of a king in their midst. <laughs> it's such a beautiful picture. And basically, Balaam couldn't curse them. So Numbers 22, 23, 24 tell the story. But then Balaam came up with another plan. And in Numbers 31, verse 16, we see what he did. He said to the, the Moabites, he said, if you will 
entice them subtly. We can't curse them and we can't fight them, but we can lure them away from their God. And his method was this. He said, get some pretty Midianite women who worship the foreign God, Baal. Let them go in and seduce the men of Israel and, and get them to sleep with them. And in that process, get them to worship Baal. And it worked. Over 25,000 people started to do this, to worship these foreign gods and to sleep with these women who crept in subtly and they were all pretty and sweet and, and attractive and gentle and said, oh, let's, you know, let's get together. And they were lured away to immorality, sexual immorality, and to worship this false god. And a plague broke out. And one of the Israelite men actually took a Midianite woman and started sleeping with her in the tabernacle. And one of the priests came and stabbed him with a sword and the plague stopped and 24,000 people had been killed. And that was the teaching or the method of Balaam. He says, I can't fight them. I can't curse them, but I can lure them with half truths and with deception. And that happened in this church and in several of the other churches in Revelation. The teaching of the Nicolaitans, the teaching of Balaam, the teaching of Jezebel was about sexual immorality and idolatry, where basically the world around the church couldn't fight them. When they tried to fight them, Antipas stood up and said, I'm willing to die for my faith. And so they tricked them through compromise. Friend, I want to tell you, that our modern day is very similar to this. You know, there's so many um, applications to this. Number one, the devil cannot curse you if you are a believer. Did you know that? The devil can't hurt you. In Colossians 2 verse 16, it says that Jesus has disarmed the devil and his forces. The devil's power over you has been taken away. You are protected by God. Um, he can't curse you. Galatians 3 says that Jesus became a curse so that we cannot be cursed and the blessing of Abraham is upon us. The blessing of Abraham says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and you will be a blessing to all nations. So God's blessing is upon you as a Christian and the devil can't get you. He can't attack you. He can't harm you. He can try, but God's protection and God's blessing is upon you just as it was upon the Israelites, but he can deceive us. And that is his only remaining weapon. The devil no longer has authority like he did in the Old Testament. Jesus has taken away his power. Colossians 2 tells us, Revelation 2 tells us, Jesus has disarmed him and chucked him out of his place of authority. And now he can only deceive. And so what he does is he lures us. He puts half truths. He teaches truths that are maybe 90% true, but there's just a little bit of error in there. He makes it attractive. He makes it seem sweet. He uses trickery. He says, I oh, feel sorry for that relative of yours who's living in sexual immorality and, and just, just love them and, or marry this person who's not a believer. Or, or don't you feel sorry for those people who worship differently, maybe a different God or believe a different book. And, and, and he tries to get people in, but his aim is exactly the same as it was with Balaam and all the way through the Bible. The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. And Jesus speaks to the church in Pergamos and he says, the same thing is happening to you. 
you stood up, Antipas stood up and was killed. Interestingly, Antipas' name occurs nowhere else in the Bible. He's not a hero that we know, but he was just a normal Christian who stood up for God. But when the devil can't get us on a front on attack, he comes subtly. And nowadays, the world is trying to creep in by saying, what the Bible says about sexual morality is not true. That, that's just not relevant anymore. God doesn't mind if you sleep around, if you sleep with people before you're married, if you sleep uh, with the same gender, all these different things. God doesn't mind. But actually, God's word has never changed and it never will change. And Jesus warns this church, don't allow the world to creep in and to start to subtly get you because then you'll start to compromise. You'll start to change your beliefs because what happens is we want so much to, to be in a relationship with this thing or this person. And, and so we change our beliefs and we start to exclude or, or cross out parts of the Bible or, or panel beat the Bible to make it say something different to what it used to say. And he says, be careful. And he says to the leader, the angel of the church, don't allow these people to keep having this doctrine. And what is the solution? He says, I will speak or I will fight against them with the word, the sword of my mouth. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. God's word comes in. And it helps us to stay on track. What does this mean for us? Friend, we need churches and Christian leaders who will speak God's word. You know, in the Old Testament story of Balaam, the priest came with a sword and he put it through the man and the woman who were committing sexual immorality in the tabernacle. He put it through. And that's a, a picture in the Old Testament. Whenever they killed people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it says we don't fight against people, flesh and blood, but we fight against rulers, authorities, principalities. We fight against spiritual forces and ideas, and our weapon is the Word of God. We speak God's Word, and people get saved. We speak God's Word, and Christians get built up and strengthened, and it cuts to the heart, and it helps them to discern between good and evil. Joints and marrow, soul and spirit, the, the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts are discerned. And if we respond, if we have an ear and we listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, it helps us to put aside what is wrong. We need to have churches and church leaders who are faithful to God's Word. The other way that God's Word fights, Jesus says, I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth, is when we in prayer Declare God's word. You know, we say, God says, I will bless. I am with you. I have plans for good and not for evil. Righteousness exalts a nation. When we speak God's word over our families, over our churches, and over our communities, powerful things happen. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 103, verse 20, which speaks about the angels who are listening for the voice of God's word so that they can go and do stuff for him. And the voice of God's word is you and I, Christian, speaking God's words, either in prayer or in prophecy or in preaching or just reading his word aloud or just saying thank you, God, for your word and, and quoting parts of God's word. When we speak God's will and God's word in prayer, in united prayer, in worship, in preaching, things happen in the spiritual realm. 
angels are listening and they say, God's word has been spoken. Let's get into action. Let's start changing government circumstances, um, crime rates, uh, economies, different things. The, the, the fate of our world to a large degree is in our hands through our prayers and through proclaiming God's word. And so Jesus speaks his word and enemy forces are pushed back. You know, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he just said, it is written. And he quoted God's word to the devil and the devil had to back off. If we will stay faithful to God's word. Christian, I want to say to you, Jesus is saying, be careful because the devil can't get you with a front on attack, but he can come subtly and deceive you. And the solution is to be in a church that loves God, that worships Jesus, that sees an image of Jesus every Sunday in worship, that listens to his word and, and opens our hearts to be changed by his word, where we want to overcome and do what he's calling us to do, but where we're listening to his word being spoken. And he says, if you do this, if you're in a community of believers, I'm with you, you will overcome and you will get the hidden manner. You will hear my words, even in your quiet times and your devotions. God will be speaking to you. He will be strengthening you. That manner, that bread that builds you up and makes you strong for him. You will be able to overcome and you will hear his special name that he has for you. Friends, just as Balaam tried to curse Israel, the devil is trying to get us as believers. But he can't because God's protection is upon us. Unless we listen to deception, unless we listen to his lies, unless we start to follow wrong things because of subtle tricks that he uses. And the solution is God's word, the sword of Jesus's mouth. Lord, I pray for myself, for the church at large, for Christian leaders who are listening to me, that you would help us to take this warning very, very seriously and to listen to your word, to love your word, to read your word and to proclaim your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word has power, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it is the sword of the spirit by which we can wrestle against spiritual forces and principalities. I thank you, Lord, that you give us authority as the church and as believers to speak against the devil's works and to see it pushed back. And I thank you, Lord, that just as you spoke to the church in Pergamos, you are talking to us today and saying, be careful, stay strong, stay faithful to the truth, and don't allow the enemy's tricks to come in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we would love to help you talk more about this. So please get in touch with us, register on our website, leadinglightsnetwork.com, or send us prayer requests or questions that you may have, because God is doing the same thing that he did in Revelation today. He's growing churches around the world. And we want you to be a part of it. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.